Yes. Making a reveal. Making a reveal. sorts of controversy and confusion it seems to be around the death of this very talented very funny individual but in the end I do think he is a victim of the plague of our age which is mental illness uh, it's unfortunate that he is going to be largely remembered as sort of the tragic end that he sort of led to as opposed to all of the smiles and laughter that he has given to a lot of people so this episode Jason Dubray myself, your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, are going to talk about six movies that use Robin Williams. Um, it's almost a random sort of selection, and uh, I know the conversation has some ups and downs, but I just want to make clear that I do have a lot of respect for this man, um, and uh, that I take mental illness and the problems around that fairly seriously. So... Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode, which is not very horror or sci-fi oriented. And if you have any feedback to give me, I would welcome it. You can send your thoughts to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail. Um, And please look for the podcast on Facebook and uh, look for the podcast on iTunes. Tell that other film fan in your life that there's this uh, podcast that's out there waiting for them. There will be spoilers. There will be coarse language. Welcome to episode 92. Jason Dubray in my creepy basement, and uh, we're going to talk about Robin Williams, who uh, left the world. When was it? It was August 11, 2014. You know, something was weird about that day. What's that? Uh, that's the day of my grandfather's funeral, and so it was obviously a very busy day, right. and uh, and then family went up to the lake at the, the very end of this. And then I turn on my iPad, and the very first thing I see is Robin, Robin Williams. Williams has died. And I'm like, what the heck happened? And then start to, to read it. So I'll, I'll always remember the day that he died right. because of that. It's a weird thing because I've, I want, this is a tribute episode to Robin Williams. And I was looking over his IMDb page, and I was sort of thinking back on my thoughts on Robin Williams. And here's the thing. I like the man. I like the man a lot. But at the risk of talking shit about somebody on their I, tribute I was afraid episode, about this, yeah, yeah. On their tribute yeah. episode, when I scroll through the IMDb credits, there's not a lot of movies that spark out for me. Hmm. There is always going to be another goofy Robin Williams movie coming out on the horizon, and we just kind of got used to it. 
Mm-hmm. But that said, I was unusually bummed out when I found out what had happened. Well, you know, there's extenuating circumstances. He had mental health issues. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. He'd fallen on and off the wagon. And there's talk about medication changes. But whatever happened, this very funny man, this very talented man, ended up taking his own life. In one way or in another. Way yeah, or another, whatever that he was. He ended up yeah. taking his own life. And I wonder if he could have known, or in his illness, he could have realized how much of the world he would have, you know, bummed out with this decision. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm not a big Mrs. Doubtfire fan. I'm not Mm -hmm. a big fill-in-the-blanks fan, RV, you know, uh, Father's Day. Was anybody uh, an RV or Father's Day fan? (laughs) I don't know, but like... Williams himself put that movie down. (laughs) (laughs) Did he? Yeah, he did. I some. Yeah. Honestly, like I have Robin Williams movies in other categories, but when I decided to make this list, I actually had to buy two movies hmm. to fill out six co- six titles for Robin Williams, and I couldn't put my hands to Good Morning Vietnam, which is one of the genuine ones mm-hmm. that I really, really like to talk about. But it's interesting. He's always been on TV. He's always been in movies. He's always been, I think, reasonably funny, but I've never been knocked over by him. But I've always been happy that he was there, and I certainly don't think he's untalented. You listen to the voice work in Aladdin and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, he plays a lot of stereotypes, but he, he he's a funny dude. He moves, his, his brain is fast. I, I don't think they had celebrities as cartoon characters. Not so prominent. Yeah, it, it became, now it's, it's everywhere. It, they can't release a movie without a celebrity voice in it. But after Robin Williams and Aladdin, I mean, that, that, that changed. And it goes deep into my childhood, too. I remember watching Mork and Mindy and thinking it was kind of amusing. I remember watching those old comic relief mm-hmm. oh, those videos are great. where he would get major stand-up celebrities to come raise money for homeless people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really liked the man. I, 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 part of me wishes that he had a better agent, you know, or that maybe he just decided to focus more on being a dramatic actor or whatever. Because, yeah. honestly, even though I don't have anything against the comedies... Uh, Club Paradise is not on this list, you know. Um, most of the ones that we're looking at are either seriously toned or where the performance from Williams is a sincere one. It's not this wacky, over-the-top thing. Because mm-hmm. one of the most tragic things I found about his death is that he was being... He was taking a lot of hits those last couple years. Yep. Not just personally, but the climate he grew up in, it was okay to use the gay voice in your stand-up, and now it's mm-hmm. not anymore. And he would use the weird black bubble character when you're talking, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really talks like that. Well, some people really talk like that, but it's a generalization. And all of a sudden, people like Key and Peel and shows like The Family Guy are calling out Robin Williams on being racist, you know? I don't think there was a racist bone in that man's body. I don't think there was a mean bone in that it doesn't man's seem body. like it, no. And he became an easy target. It... it it's interesting to, to me. I, I see three acts to his career, and the things that you're saying, I think we're very much on the same page. I don't think he was the acting god that sometimes he's made out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, for every good one, there were maybe even ten duds. I mm-hmm. mean, I, and I mean, he worked a lot. That's f- fair enough. And I mean, I guess he had a couple of marriages, and he probably needed <laughs> the money at different points. But um, I, I really noticed a shift. And into darker material in the last third of his career. So he had kind of the the stand-up and the Mork and Mindy stage, then the film stage, but he became known as a comedic actor. Um, and and but it was it seemed very light, even when he was dealing with heavy issues in Good Morning Vietnam and um, Dead Poet Society and, and and a couple of the movies that we're gonna look at here. 
today, but I, um, I, I really noticed in that year when he had insomnia and uh, one hour photo and I think was death to smoochie in that uh, probably time. in that neighborhood anyway. Yeah, and and so I I saw some really good work from him in that realm, but then I also saw some very very bad film choices. Yeah, and, so, and again I think he was trying to please everyone. You know, sure he'll do flubber. You know, and then mm-hmm. he'll do one hour photo. And when you walk look at a movie like One Hour Photo, he definitely <laughs> rolled up his sleeves and got to work on that. Yeah, movie, that was right? an <laughs> like, underappreciated performance by him. I mean, very it, transformative. It was. And uh, like he can be really good. I, I feel like I'm at risk of sitting here like I'm talking shit about Robin Williams. We did a tribute episode to Wes Craven, and I mentioned he did make some really shitty films. <laughs> well, which yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> but I still, but everybody does. I mean, that's I, I don't know anybody. You know, even the most renowned actors have have, have duds. I mean, you, you know, I think a lot of the films that Williams chose around that Mrs. Doubtfire era were because of his kids. Yeah. And I think with Mrs. Doubtfire, maybe he was sort of channeling a, a previous divorce or like there, there was something in there that he wanted to... Well, it wasn't about a guy dressing like a woman. It was about a guy trying to be with his kids and wanting to do literally anything to be with his kids. I understand the sweetness of it, but that movie has always given me cavities. It really (laughs) just is not not for me. Um, I think for me, like, after, I think it was probably Good Morning Vietnam. I think, did he get nominated for that? He did. It was his first nomination. he got a lot of critical respect for that. Even though it was very much him being Robin Williams, there was just a little bit of that dramatic edge in there. And it gave him that first taste of the sad clown thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what Dead Poet Society is. That's mm-hmm. what Goodwill Hunting is. Mm-hmm. Is this? We're banking on the fact that we know Robin Williams and Robin Williams makes us laugh. And now he's going to break our hearts. Right? And that's when people said, oh, this guy can act. Yeah. yeah. Um, he could always act, by the way. <laughs> he, he, yeah, and, and that was the thing. And, and there's somehow a, a difference, well, a major difference in some ways, but... Uh, between him and Adam Sandler. Yeah. But the frustration I had with some of Williams' choices at points was very similar to my regular and consistent and never-ending frustration with Adam Sandler is, I know that guy can act. Yeah. And he just goes for the paycheck. He just does the Adam Sandler character over and over and over again. Uh, and then every once in a while you have, you have a movie like Punch Drunk Love or... Um, I don't know why I'm talking about Adam Sandler, but I, mm-hmm. but the comparison is that you know Williams could have done the Good Morning Vietnam type of thing with you know more regularly. He could have had gone with better material. Now there's a lot of things that go into that that I'm not completely aware of mm-hmm. as far as movie choices and working with friends and and that kind of thing. But I, I just wish that uh, I mean I'm happy that we have. I still think there are quite a few good movies to talk about with Williams. Um, And I do think that he was such a nice guy that when people like Bobcat Goldthwait said, I wrote a script, would you be in my movie? He would say, yeah, for sure. (laughs) It's given back. It's the comedy comedy world. They, They are... And not only is he open doors for his other comedic friends, but, you know, just by leading example, he legitimized the idea that a stand-up comedian could become an actor. And not just an actor, but a a very, very good one. And Mm -hmm. now people, you know, I honestly think that's what started the whole trend of mining stand-up comics for sitcoms and sort of like, Mm -hmm. Robin Williams had a lot of influence and he went from a clown to a sad clown, now unfortunately to a dead clown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, 
it's somehow weirdly more powerful now. <laughs> like, the movies carry more weight <laughs> because yeah. of the extenuating circumstances. There, there's so many things in there when uh, when you look at his work and it's just like, okay, well, I mean... But I, I wonder how he would feel about that if we could talk to him. I wonder if he would just rather we were able to think of him as that funny, wacky Robin Williams mm. guy. Like, this whole new context has been put over his entire career. Mm. Everything's been colored by the way his life ended. So what I'm going to try and do Mm-hmm. This podcast is sort of focus on the good, talk about the you know the range and the performances that he gave, and uh, just sort of celebrate the dude because, yeah. as much as I I don't own a lot of Robin Williams movies, yeah. I do consider myself a Robin Williams fan, and I understand he was very make fun ofable, and I understand that you know he comes from the old school comedy, and he'd been accused. I remember hearing him on WTF talking about stealing jokes, and he was very open about it. He was high on cocaine for about six years. Yeah. And uh, he probably stole some jokes. Basically. Well, throughout Mork and Mindy. I mean, yeah. that, that whole series, <laughs> yeah. he was, you know. And then he cleaned himself up, and mm-hmm. then he was a good actor and sober for like almost 25 years before mm-hmm. he fell off the wagon again. I mean, it's he's an interesting dude. And we could go on all night, but we have six movies to talk yep. about. So is there anything else you wanted to say by way of introduction? It, it, it's interesting coming up with a ranking these movies as, as six. Because I, I, what I'm ultimately doing is the films. Mm-hmm. But if I was to rank the performances, it would be a different order. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what I did by quality of film. I yeah. like to think that that's what I did. Yeah. I have, this is funny, this is the second episode in a row now. We're talking about Terry Gilliam. There's a Terry Gilliam yeah. film in here, and I am such a fan of Terry yes. Gilliam. He's so amazing. Sometimes, sometimes I wonder if I don't cook the books a little bit that way, but <laughs> I'm imperfect. If I was perfect, Jason, I would be boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the six films with Robin Williams that we are going to talk about. We have Man of the Year from Barry Levinson, who's a director that I like. Mm -hmm. We have The Fisher King from the aforementioned Terry Gilliam. We have a tough little comedy called World's Greatest Dad from writer-director Bobcat Goldblatt. We have uh, The Light, The Light Listener? No, The Night Night Listener. listener. (laughs) Easy for me to say, (laughs) starring Robin Williams and Tony Collette. We have Steven Spielberg's problematic, at least according to a lot of critics, Hook. And we'll wrap it up with the one that got him his Academy Award, Goodwill Hunting. Politicians are a lot like diapers. They should be changed frequently and for the same reason. Tom Dobbs was the biggest name in fake news. More and more people are watching your show, John Stewart, Bill Moff, for news. How crazy is that? Until the day he decided to stop going for laughs. Maybe you should run for president. And go for votes instead. Tomorrow, I will officially announce my candidacy for president. Brace yourselves, people. It's now time for the campaign. From Barry Levinson, the director of Rain Man, Wag the Dog, and Good Morning Vietnam. He's in the debate. You want to know my history, basically? I did inhale because I thought, what the hell? It's lit. It's in my hand. I'll inhale it. When I was a young boy, I used to look at pictures of naked ladies. I just farted a little while back there. Might even want to ask. He's not a puppet. How to support hydrogen cars. It's weird because so, you're backed by oil companies. And if you're representing special interest groups, maybe we should be like NASCAR. The little patches on the back. Enron. We take your money and run. Smackdown. He's not politically correct. Four million illegal aliens are crossing the border with bedroom sets and night tables. He's a one-man party. You don't have to have an amendment More against same-sex marriage. Anybody who's ever been married knows it's always the same sex. He sounds different. But what started as a joke... Have you given any thought to what the makeup of your cabinet might be? Well, I've always been a big fan of hardwoods like teak or mahogany. ...is about to end up 
in the Oval Office. At 1.23 East Coast time, the free world will now be led by a comedian. Whoops. So I've talked about Barry Levison in the past. Um, I think he's a good director. Mm -hmm. I don't. I like that he picks different projects. Once again, he he takes big swings, and he was pretty tight with Robin Williams. Yep. Before this, they made a deeply strange film called Toys. <laughs> I remember I, that. I almost would want to talk about, but I think it's currently out of print. It's not really easy to get your hands to, mm. but that movie is capital F fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know that it's good, but I kind of like that it exists. Yeah, yeah um, me too. This time he's got uh, Robin Williams playing this preposterous role of like a celebrity TV personality who somehow manages to get elected as president of the United States. You know, that reminds me of something when I was watching it. Uh, what could that possibly be? Hmm, I know. I don't know. This movie was stained by current events. It really was for me. The two, two things that worked against this viewing of watching the movie, which I don't think is a bad movie. I don't think it's amazing, but I certainly don't think it's bad. But the two things working against me was the swearing in of Donald Trump mm -hmm. as President of the United States made this not feel like it was satire. It makes me feel like when Kanye West says Kanye West for President 2020, that's a completely reasonable thing. No, now. no, it is. <laughs> it's officially uh, like that is allowed. If you're rich and you're popular, you can be president. Um so that rubs me the wrong way because it's just too close to home. The mm -hmm. satire doesn't work. Or it did work. It was prophetic because yeah. was, this was uh, 2006, so 10 years Levinson before had this made, happened. Levinson had made a different political thriller called Wag the Dog, which yes. is amazing. And I think much better, it's actually. so much better than yeah. this one that that's the that's other thing that kind of takes away from mm -hmm. it. This is from the man who did Wag the Dog, which, to be fair, was based on a good novel and was adapted in part by David Mamet. There was a lot of people here. This one he just wrote and directed himself to give Robin Williams a really good role. You cast Robin Williams as a stand-up comedian who, you know, decides he's going to run for president just uh, as, a, as a lark, as a statement against the system. Mm -hmm. And, uh-oh, he wins. It's like I, I heard someone interview refer to Donald Trump as the dog who caught the car. Like... <laughs> Dogs chase the car, but what would they do if they caught it, right? Well, we're going to find out. And this this is the movie. Robin Williams is elected president of the United States, and he has to deal with it. And his uh, modus operandi of keeping it real and keeping it light and keeping people laughing seems to be surprisingly effective. Until, of course, the powers that be start to close their fist around him. Um, what did you think of Man of the Year? Well, no, I, I wanted defend unfortunately i mean like you know i don't know why i need to defend it i i think the idea behind it was if john stewart ran <laughs> for president because He's the tv leader. show that 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 robin williams character has is supposed to be kind of uh, a version of the daily show um but you know it, it was very it, it just felt like a sim simplified version of that uh, I saw this in theaters, um, and I, I really liked it when it first came out. Watching it this time, for whatever reason, I, I spotted a lot more problems with it. Um, and there's there's really two movies in here. And there's, there's a movie I, I really like, which is not a comedy at all, but is kind of a paranoid thriller. Yeah. And then there's the, the comedy movie. And my problem with it is that I don't think the the comedic satiric part of this which centered around robin williams was that funny even though they had a lot of 
a lot of people who are very funny people Around there. Him. But I think the, uh, Levinson, as, as he does, he lets actors kind of be themselves and, and improvise. I think they were just kind of allowed to sort of spitball and, and, and try different things. And they kind of cut it together. But the laughs felt very, very forced Again, this time. A lot of the scenes where it was Robin Williams in front of a crowd, I guarantee you, it was like, go riff, Robin. <laughs> but even scenes, um, uh, some of the scenes with Christopher Walken, for example, um, I, I really, really, really like Christopher Walken. He's another guy, if we were having a similar type of show, we'd be like, okay, he did that and that yeah. and that. But, wow, like... He is you know, Christopher anything for a dollar walk-in, but uh, <laughs> he usually gives you your money's worth. He never disappears into a role. And in fact, he's, he's in this movie with Jeff Goldblum, who's another actor just mm-hmm. like this. I like mm-hmm. both of them, but they never vanish, right? I always know I'm looking at Christopher Walken and yeah. Jeff Goldblum. There's a very specific sort of it is. thing that they bring. <laughs> Lewis Black is a very talented comedian, yeah. political co- comedian in there, but there wasn't anything funny about his character. It's almost like... You know, they let Robin Williams go, but they kept him sort of... I couldn't help but wonder if there was some stuff cut out with Lewis Black I'm sure there was a lot of stuff cut out. Because, like, I think he's a funny person, and in a way... It seems like he should almost be doing the Robin Williams role, right? He's He's been authentically working the stage mm-hmm. for the last 10 years. Not that Robin Williams isn't a stand-up comedian, but he's been mainly an actor since the late 80s. Um, it seemed to me like you've got Lewis Black, you know... Let, let him do his thing. Let him off the leash. What I felt with Lewis Black is that he was really thrilled to be in a Barry Levinson movie and be Probably. surrounded by all of these celebrities. He's always got this nice, warm smile on his face, which is completely antithetical to the the persona that he usually runs. Like, Lewis Black is a comedian who will fucking die on stage. He'll be halfway through a rant mm-hmm. and something will pop in his head and flop. I, I saw him when he was in Saskatoon. I mean, yeah, he was... I was the only one that the group I was with. I was the only one who enjoyed it. But oh, really? uh, he's yeah. just screaming. Well, yeah. yeah just... uh, but again, he's fine in the movie. But I, I felt like they didn't use him for his strength. Same thing with Jeff Goldblum. He's fine in the movie. He's kind of playing like a sleazy politician, but he looks kind of half asleep. It was. I mean, I'm not even sure. It's kind of a, a one note. You know, if you have Goldblum, if I have Jeff Goldblum in my movie, I'm going to use him a lot better than that. But I. Well, that's Levinson, like he. Yeah. Same thing with Wag the Doll. You look all over the screen, and there's oh, amazing actors, amazing mm-hmm. actors who are in it for a scene and then disappear. And I think that's the benefit of being Barry Levinson. You can make a phone call and say, mm-hmm. "Can I get a couple days out of you, Jeff?" But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but there are other other filmmakers like this, and they seem to use the talent better. Better, like it, Robert Altman was like this. Mm-hmm. Um, that. He, if anybody he could call up anybody and they'll be in the film but they'll have a moment um which is great whether they're playing themselves or they're playing a character um also woody allen god bless him mm-hmm. um or some people hate him but i don't <laughs> I, I happen to like him Depends he, he, on the he finds you know a moment for all of these because he, he's worked with almost everybody he will justify why he has chosen to have this yeah. uber celebrity there and I think, honestly, after a while, I mean, he's trying to make a good movie, but he wants to have his peeps around him, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, if it's not a big, great role for Jeff, but it'll be great to have Jeff around. Yeah. Um, That's just about Jeff, though. I, I think he's just happy to be part of different projects yeah. and just work with people. I mean, he's a good guy. But um, uh, It's I, interesting we've gotten this far into it, though, and we haven't talked no. about... Sorry, did I interrupt you? No, 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 go ahead. We've got this far into it, and we have not spoken about Laura Linney. Yeah, that's the half I was getting to, and that's the half of the film I really like. Right. Yeah, so she's, 
working for this company um, that have found a, a more efficient way to do the computer voting. But she finds a glitch, which would be very, very embarrassing to the heads of the company, and and, and Jeff Goldblum is, Worse of course, that, one of them. It's the glitch that it, could it alter the effect of the, of the real yeah. election. He was not supposed to win the election. This glitch is why yeah. he won the election. The people did not actually vote in this crazy mm-hmm. son of a bitch, not yeah. like the real world. It was an accident. Mm-hmm. And this is the good and bad thing about it, because... I get that as a sort of a plot point, so they didn't have to justify the unbelievable premise that some celebrity would be elected in such an important office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the powers that be that are trying to shut her up should have either fucking killed her <laughs> or yeah. left her as a crazy person. Like, it seemed like they were tipping their hands so badly. She was, they were so aggressively shitty to her mm-hmm. that, like, I just believed they would kill her. Like, like mm-hmm. it seemed, it seemed like. Well, they were, I mean, they are pro- probably later on when they realize the crazy thing is, because they make her, her they seem crazy. They drug crazy her, uh, you know, um, and then, and, and that's not working because as unbelievable as it is, Robin Williams character kind of starts to listen to her right. and that, that's where the two plots get connected. Um, uh, and then the. You know, if they're going to kill her, you know, you know, they're starting to, to plan to do that, but it's too late by that that time. She's, it would look bad at but, this point. But she if was she, so good. If she died in a mysterious car accident, it would look bad. Laura Linney's always good. She's but a very, she is. very competent actress. But her movie would have been more interesting to, to, to I me. Think she was, I think you're right in that she was in a different movie, but I'm not sure if that was Levison's script or her performance. I wonder how comfortable she is with comedy. I look at her sort of back catalog of work I look at, uh-huh. and stuff that I really like, like You Can Count on Me and The Exorcism uh-huh. of Emily uh-huh. Rose. And she's like, there's a very preciseness. She makes choices. And in an environment of improvisation and that sort of free open air, I wonder how well she swam with the crowd. She was in a, a TV show which was considered a comedy, which I, I, now I can't say a lot about because I haven't really watched it, but The Big C. I've not seen it. And she actually won an award as a comedic act. It's Actress. About people dying of cancer, right? Well, no, she. I think she gets a cancer diagnosis or something. I, 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 I don't know. I, I haven't watched that, but, but I. She can. But it'd be a, be like, it'd be a certain type of comedy. It'd be dark, or it would be human comedy, not not, not, not even, Robin Williams. I'm not even trying to talk down on her. Like I said, I do yeah. think she's a good actress. I'm just wondering if maybe they wanted somebody with more comedic chops to sort of. But was there anything funny in her story? Like I, I don't, I, I think don't know the where... Scene where she was drugged could have potentially been funnier. I think that the awkward romance between her and Robin Williams could have been funnier, and that she's sort mm-hmm. of initially disgusted by this person, this falseness, like that he didn't take politics seriously. That in some level, this is all a game or a popularity contest. That's how she looks at it in her head, and then she realizes that this person has got a heart and a soul, and actually is funny. <laughs> you know, she seems mm-hmm. to be have this hard outer shell. I don't know. I'm, I mean. I like what the movie is trying to do there, but I mean, I feel like the villains are strangely inconsistent. If she's walking around with this secret that big, it seemed weirdly sloppy to drug her and make her look mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, if they're that evil, just crash her car and make it look like she ran herself off the road. I mean, again, I'm talking pretty deeply, seriously about a movie that's more of a... It's got a satirical bent, mm-hmm. but I think at its heart, it's better at being funny than serious in some ways. I, I didn't... I didn't laugh this time. <clears throat> I I don't know. I and yeah, I, I'm not sure it succeeds as a comedy. Mm-hmm. 
I like I like it as uh, keeping the satire in there potentially as a, a bit of a paranoid thriller, you know. I, but I again, you're. I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking. Well, is it is it her performance that drove me to that? Were those scenes supposed to be played for laughs? I'm, I'm not sure know. how the drug scene could have been played for laughs. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm so, I'm I'm positing. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. putting. When it comes down to it, like it's an interesting movie. It's not an amazing. It's worth movie. a try. It's yeah. not a terrible movie. It's an interesting movie, mm-hmm. especially in light of recent events and as uh, a role where Robin Williams is kind of playing in a way Robin Williams, mm-hmm. or at least what we imagine Robin Williams to be. Yeah. Because who knows? I I wonder if even Robin Williams knew who Robin Williams well, was. Well, yeah, that, that that's that's the thing. But it seems redundant from a filmmaker who already has Wag the Dog in his catalog. You know, and it's certainly not as ambitious a comedy as Toys was, but it doesn't fall on its face quite mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. spectacular fashion as Toys does. I would always be interested to check out the next film from this guy. Oh and yeah, he sadly, does good stuff. And sadly, we'll not see him work with Robin Williams ever again. No, but but, uh, he, but imagine what he could do with another comedian trying to be an actor. I mean, yeah. he he could he could do something interesting with Will Ferrell, for example. Yeah. To me, it's almost like if Steven Spielberg announced that he was going to do a shark movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, you already made Jaws, dude. You are setting yourself up for a fall. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Hey, it's Monday morning, and I'm Jack Lucas. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer. They can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day, Jack went too far. It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. Yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, he stumbled into Perry's. And I am that degenerate and remove your presence. I like New York in June. How about you? Way back in the uh, 1900s, in the early 1990s, as it were, I uh, used to frequent the Paradise Theater. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. You could see three movies for $3. Yes. You go in at like 6 (laughs) o'clock, you come out close to midnight, you get three full movies. Sometimes an R-rated movie would be there, and you'd be able Mm -hmm. to sneak in and be able to see it anyway. And for somebody who didn't have much of a social life and loved movies... (laughs) This was where I spent a lot of my time yeah. because I'm a sad person. For some reason, the Fisher King hung around at the Paradise Theater. Uh, it was there for, I'm sure, over a month. And uh, mm-hmm. I ended up seeing it in theaters several times. Well, And as in the previous episode when we talked about Time Bandits, I've already admitted that I am a huge fan of Terry Gilliam. And being able to see this movie four or five times on the big screen... Well. I'm almost not rational about The Fisher King. I think that The Fisher King is fan-fucking-tastic. I really, really do. I think it's one of Robin Williams' best performances, and I think it's one of Jeff Goldblum's best... Or Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. Pardon me, Jeff Bridges' best performances. And I think it is Amanda Plummer's best performance. <laughs> and on top of that, you've got this delicious Terry Gilliam madness, which is what he deals in. His movies are all, on some level, a little bit crazy telling the story about two people who are broken. A radio disc jockey who's sort of a hothead John Gormley or uh, Howard Stern Stern type of figure who's just always pouring poison 
politics in people's ear and being as extreme and aggressive as possible. Um, he gets his poison into the ear of a broken individual out in the world who goes to a nightclub and shoots the place up. Robin Williams is at said nightclub with his wife. His wife is brutally killed in front of him, and he ends up basically turning into a homeless vagabond, running around the streets, hallucinating, talking to himself, going on imaginary quests. Our disc jockey, the dude, <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> manages dude. Uh, by happenstance to bump into Perry, even before he understands the relationship they have with each other. And a strange relationship springs between them, which eventually ends up in a ludicrous quest to find a, quote, holy grail and repair both of their broken psyches. It is a fantasy. It is on some levels kind of ridiculous and crazily sentimentally romantic. But as I've said, I am 100% on board. Where do you land on the Fisher King? <laughs> The Fisher King. <laughs> I, set I the table like that. yeah. I am probably two hundred percent on board. I okay. you know okay. I had a different experience because I didn't see it in the movie theater. I I saw it initially on VHS. I think the first time I saw it, I was too young to get it, right. and I was like, "What is going on?" And this is this is one of the most celebrated movies of the year. But then it, it grew on me. I watched it several times, and I think that idea of watching it and be amazing to see it on the big screen yeah. four or five times. Uh, 91, I think that was a year I really like hardcore committed to being a movie nerd. You were you know? a movie guy. I was, this This is it. This is my uh, lifelong pact. Um, and there were several really, really good movies that year. I think The Fisher King should have been up for Best Picture. Um, and uh, yeah, the um, you know, it, it was the year for several other films, but it was a very good year. I mean, this business they have now with the five to ten nominees, in some years they don't deserve three well, nominees. Yeah. Um, that was a year where they could have they could have had ten, and they would have all been almost every movie that came into theaters could have been nominated for something. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, I mean, that year, Boys in the Hood, yeah. uh, Thelma and Louise. There's a movie that I, the other one that didn't get nominated, that I think should have been in the top five, is a movie called Grand Canyon. Oh yeah. Um, I, I love The Fisher King. I hadn't watched it in a few years, right. and when watching it this time, I thought, okay, now I have to look at it again and be a, a more be a, a, a movie critic. Fair enough. And it is sentimental, as you said, but I think it earns every single moment of, of sentiment in there. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's a film that really, really moves me um, the more I see it. And everybody is good in this movie. Yeah. And this is when I... I first kind of discovered Jeff Bridges. And and, Jeff and, and Jeff Bridges, I think, you know, when my, my my initial viewings of it, I thought, okay, Robin Williams got a lot of attention for this, but what what happened to Jeff Bridges? I mean, he should have been a candidate for best actor for this movie. Perry's and the most showy role. It's the the showy role gets the nomination. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think Williams' performance would have been as good if it wasn't for Jeff Bridges, and Williams acknowledged that. Yeah. But now, watching it this time, I mean, th there is, and knowing a little bit more about, you know, human psychology, everything that Robin Williams does in this movie is spectacular. And this is a, 
a Robin Williams movie. We were talking about kind of the serious ones, which aren't Robin Williams and the ones that are. This is, to me, a Robin Williams type of performance, but the best of that, where he, he does use his his comedian and his improvisational qualities, which were like he he his mind, he thought of things faster than anybody else. And he used so much, but yet he also played the dark scenes so well. And he was... The, the horror and the pain and, and, and the, the the trauma of this character is is heartbreaking yet he's got so much life and he he you know he wants he wants the best and 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 then bridges is so so dark and so cynical and it was just a, a, a perfect idea it's I think it's Terry Gilliam's best film and you may disagree with me on that one uh, the other person you didn't mention in there is Mercedes rule she won the Academy Award Um for this, uh, I I thought her career might take off a little bit more than it did. But I, I, again, I was watching closely what she was doing. It's absolutely fabulous. Everything that she does in that movie too. The, all 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 the four leads are great. Um, and I I have I really have no criticisms of this movie. I, I think there's one shot where I saw it, a tiny editing mistake, oh, yeah. continuity thing, but that's that's nothing. And there was so much being balanced. On this, okay. Yes. So you've got two romances. Yeah. You got Amanda Palmer and Robin Williams, Mercedes Rule, and the dude. Because Jeff Bridges is always he wasn't the dude, dude at that point. Not, he was a few years me, off from being the dude, but me, he'll always he's be the dude. He's going to be the dude. Yeah. I fucking love him as the dude so much. Um, so yeah, we've got that. We've got this uh, back and forth between the two main characters, mm-hmm. and I think it's fascinating to me to when does Robin Williams recognize who? this man that he saved is the first time he sees bridges <clears throat> he rescues him yep. from a bunch of people who are just savagely beating up homeless people which was happening it was all over thing. and in new york you yeah. know that was um and there's this moment and i hadn't noticed it and like i said i've seen it a lot of times when jeff bridges looks and turns and sees him and he looks at him and i swear to god it recognizes on robin williams face he sees who this is yeah. he recognizes who it is and then he forgets it. Yeah, I and see. And we see it read on his face. Like it's no words, it's nothing. Like no. and not only does he continue to be this man's friend after that, even though he, you know, holds him responsible for the death of his wife, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh he engages. Um <clears throat> there's a scene that when I describe it, it, it would be like someone would say, Well, I don't want to see this movie, it sounds ridiculous. Robin Williams encounters Amanda Plummer at a train station oh, yes. and they face each other and all of a sudden all of the commuters all of the chaos around them everybody partners up and it turns into this big waltz number and describing it it sounds like that's super cheesy and it shouldn't work and you know what it is super cheesy and it shouldn't work but it's fucking gorgeous that (laughs) that scene impacted me so much in this viewing i i you know i and it was it was a very familiar scene to me i mean i've always thought of it but this time i was like this is just such beautiful filmmaking. That's and, Perry's world. And, he makes an ugly world beautiful through his psychosis. And, and I, I mean, I've lived in New York City. I love New York City. Right. And the way it, it shot in this movie, even though it was a darker time in New York City, it it just looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you and you see the world through through this man's eyes now at this at this point. And um, yeah, it, it, it is it is so good. It is so good. I mean, I, I, I recommend it to everybody. The artistic design in the oh. movie. 
the Red Knight, I believe he's referred yes. to, that yeah. we see in this. He's, I, I, again, I was a kid when I saw it, so it took me a while to unpack it. But it's this huge Red Knight on this huge horse, and he's got all these poles and stiff sort of shafting out from him in these mm-hmm. impractical ways. And I'd like, when I was a kid, I was like, why does he see that? Why is that his ultimate fear? It's brain spatter. Mm-hmm. That splash of red. That they show the shot, yeah. When he gets hit in the face with his wife's brains, essentially, mm-hmm. that coming at him and hitting him in the face, that moment is signified by this red knight. And it comes across visually. When you see what happened to him at the end of the movie and you come back and watch the movie again, the red knight is so much more terrifying. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter that only Perry can see it doesn't matter that only Perry believes that this old rich fellow is hiding the Holy Grail in his tower. Even as Jeff Bridges climbs the tower to steal the thing, he's telling himself, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? But he also knows on some level that if he gives Perry this token, he will achieve some measure of redemption and that Perry will wake up. Mm -hmm. And he is correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a fantasy. It's completely ludicrous. It shouldn't work. But... But, it's the but, best movie but it on does, this list. It does. I mean, I'm, it just is. And, <laughs> and Williams, that's to me would, where his performance works so well like every time I have seen it, is when he is playing off of the Red Knight. Um, and uh, it, it's the best of Robin Williams. I think it's the best of Jeff Bridges. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a funny, funny dude-like performance no, from bridges no. it's a complete performance and we've seen other like he's he jeff bridges i'll, I'll watch in anything just oh, yeah. because he can do anything he, if he did flubber 14 or something he, yeah. you know, he could show up and and he would make it interesting something you yeah. know um he's in some ways then when, when i talk about this list being like okay which one's is, my list is according to williams performances and i i, I don't think the the movie works as well if it was another actor in that role. Uh, Jeff Bridges is so important to me in this film. Yet, I wish they, I wish they'd work together. Yeah. Again, well, it, it may, might not have been quite as magical. Who knows? Mm, who knows? And, but well, trying to repeat it. Um, I also wanted to mention very briefly Michael Jeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems anybody that gets touched by by Perry's life sort of gets brought into the fold. Yeah. You know, if you have a nice exchange with Perry, you're you're one of the boys. And uh, he sends this Michael Jeter character to give this musical telegram. (laughs) And it's so lovely because he's singing this incredibly loud song and it's like not particularly like well executed, but the character is so committed and so Mm -hmm. loving what he's doing that you just love the scene. And I honestly don't think any other director would have captured that moment quite Mm -hmm. as well. Like that's a small moment. That's a really, you know... In the whole scape of the film, it's really just almost a throwaway scene. It's sort of introducing introducing you to the next sort of romantic chapter of, mm-hmm. the, of where the movie's going. But it's hit so hard. When Perry has his final confrontation with the Red Knight, and we see that the Red Knights are these guys who mm-hmm. are torturing homeless people, yeah. and that knife gets raved across his chest, what does he say? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's such a powerful moment. Like... Uh, I, again, name me another director that could have made this movie. Yeah, no, not in not in this There's way. It's not a living. It would have been a. Uh, I just no, none. Not it, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. Spike it Jones, would have to be not a the different. Coen brothers, not any. I can't think of anybody who would have brought us this movie. 
And that's why I think the talent of, of Terry Gilliam is so singular. And by this marriage between him and, and Robin Williams, and you're right to mention Jeff Bridges, because it's true, he often gets sort of shoved over to the side. It's a uh, tough role. It's, it's a, a very role. difficult role. Um, it's a showy one. I'm going to be talking about Monsters soon. And everybody was all big on Charlize Theron, and mm-hmm. she was great in it. Christina Ricci. Christina Ricci is fan-fucking-tastic in that movie, and nobody mentions her. As I get older, uh, <laughs> I start to appreciate, you know, Supporting there's always the, the the person who is, is having to play off of the, the flashier character. Yeah, and, and it's not always as easy to do. No. And sometimes they get recognized, sometimes they don't. And, uh, yeah, in this case, I think Bridges, you know, could have could have been given a bit more attention Anyway, I mean, I think we've made our point pretty clear. Yep. If you haven't seen The Fisher King, please you need to see, it, yeah. see The Fisher King. It's fantastic. Yeah. My name is Lance Clayton. I'm a writer. But so far, nothing I've written has ever been published. Ernest Hemingway once said all he wanted to do was write one true sentence. He also tried to scratch an itch in the back of his head with a shotgun. Your poetry course is not very popular. There's poetry, sir. Does it bother you that I have male friends? Mm, not at all. Why don't we do something together tomorrow? Yeah, like build a rocket? Sure, if you want to. That's retarded. Yeah. So once again, I'm going to talk about uh, stand-up comedy, stand-up comedian turned independent filmmaker Bobcat Goldthwait. I've already covered a few of his films on the podcast, and I do think he's an interesting, kind of ballsy filmmaker. And uh, this movie would never have gotten off the ground unless it was independently financed or you were able to talk Robin Williams into starring in it. Uh I always drop a spoiler warning for the podcast. At the top of the podcast, Uh I say, we're going to have spoilers. It's going to be coarse language. I'm just going to say now, if you haven't seen World's Greatest Dad and you're curious about it, just watch it before we talk about it, because... All the campaigning around the movie did a real good job of hiding a major secret that happens in the first third of the movie, mm-hmm. which I'm going to talk about right now. Yeah, we have to. Rob, you, you can't, you can't yeah, review the movie. Can't, no. You can't remove the, review the movie. And, and uh, I, I'm just putting that especially there because I think it's more impactful if you don't see it coming. Robin Williams is a school teacher and kind of a sad, sad, dopey dude. Um, he's in a relationship with another teacher at the school, but she doesn't want anyone to know they're in a relationship with it, and there's something pathetic about it. He's got a teenage son who is just terrible, just awful. He's clearly a child of divorce, but over and on top of that, he's just a miserable little shit. And Robin Williams kind of knows it and is, like, desperate as to what to do about it because he seems like he's this powerless man. He comes home one day to discover that his son has died from autoerotic asphyxiation. His son is dead, and it's obviously traumatic. Haha, <laughs> hilarious movie so far, right? Mm. Well, instead of having his son remembered as this little asshole who died masturbating with a noose around his neck, he writes uh, initially a suicide note, but ends up you know, writing diary entries and sort of expanding it, and creating this other son that didn't exist to sort of give purpose and meaning to his son's death. And as it turns out, the death of his son is a huge windfall in his life. Everything, in quotation marks, gets better for him. Are we laughing yet? That's World's Greatest Dad. What did you think? My, my, my favorite <laughs> movie critic is Roger Ebert. Okay. And 
I, I think he updated this book every year, and he would talk about this uh, thing called um, "I hated, 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 hated this movie." Mm-hmm. So That's if easy. if I took over that job and wrote a book on I hated, hated, hated your movie, this would be on that list. Wow. Okay. I did not find anything funny about this movie. Um, I. It, I had to struggle a little bit. I did find two characters with redeeming qualities. There's the this this poor kid who is unfortunately strapped with being the friend of Robin Williams' son, and he's, he's the consistently I, he, the voice of reason through this entire film. He's the one person who sees through it. And, he's the one person who sees through it, and, and he's the, the one the one character I could I could buy. Um, this like I mean it's just to such such an extreme how horrible the people are in this movie um and the other one is and to me she was a little bit of a cartoon character um is robin williams next door neighbor this this hoarder right uh and so trying to find some good in this i i kind of like those characters i guess i did not like anything about this movie at all i i did not um you know I, I teach high school, and I'm also now a, a guidance counselor. And I've I've never I've encountered some some difficult. students that are difficult difficult to deal with, but not to the level of of Robin Williams' son. I mean, there's just he is the most horrible character, and I know that he's supposed to be horrible. But then I look at his father. His father is absolutely horrible. I mean, pathetic. R- I would say you know, closer to a, well, a, but. except then, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, I, I mean, I, I just can't think of somebody because we're supposed to kind of like him. I think that's what the first part. He's so sad or whatever. But then, I think then we're he supposed goes to, to be sympathetic to. But him. then he I goes don't know to if that's the same thing as saying we have to like him, but we have to be sympathetic to him. But there are there are three people who are supposedly educators in this this film that are way like a, like the worst person I've ever met or ever worked with in the school system is is a million times better than the best of the three and I'm not sure who I could say the best of I guess Robin Williams' character is the best of the three just because he's I don't know why. Um, but yeah, again, I think this this belongs in the kind of the third act I was talking about, where he was doing he was taking on darker material. But I don't think that this was, I I, I don't think this was worth it. No. And and I I know a lot of people like this film, and it, it has a bit of a cult following, as I understand um, it. But it's it's a hard film I don't to know. like. It's a hard film to like because of how fucking brutally dark it is. And I'm a person who likes dark comedies, but. In a way, I feel like it didn't pull the trigger on being a dark comedy as much as it... Like, you you, you described that plot, and yeah, there's nothing funny about no. it. And I don't think I laughed out loud once watching the movie. I think that it's almost more of a dark satire. You know, it's one of those things like a, uh, Alexander Payne type of movies, mm-hmm. like Election or About Schmidt, that you would but find... But I like those. You'd find them in the comedy section, but they're kind of yeah. more painful than they are funny. Mm-hmm. I kind of put this in that sort of same wheelhouse. I'm not saying it's as good as those other movies, no. but I'm saying it's in that wheelhouse. But 
I don't know if he's like a fan of this rock band that he has there. there there's like, I think, three different montages that are put in this movie mm-hmm. where we see time going by and we see the changes that are happening in his life. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more movie in a, than a montage. I've said that before in the, this film. But juxtaposed with this sort of bouncy pop rock music that seems, you know, that it might have been popular in the mid-90s, but like out of place where it is now, it's off tune with the rest of the movie. I was, me, I would say, you know, Goldthwaite, if you want to make a movie this dark and you got Robin Williams, fucking go for it. Fucking well, go for it. Yeah. Now, I think I like the movie more than you did, but mm-hmm. I, I, I'm at war with the movie. Like, yeah. I, 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 there's a give and take to it. I respect a movie with balls. <laughs> and this movie has guts. The central character is pathetic and passive. His life is going on in spite of him. You know, and he has this one thing in his life, which was his son, and that is taken away from him. Mm-hmm. And I understand the impulse to not want the world to think that your son died this humiliating death, right? I understand, even like in the psychosis of the moment, writing that mm-hmm. note. But, but the longer that the subterfuge goes on, the more horrible you become, and the more awful the inevitable, you know, unspooling but- will become. But faking your your kid's suicide too. I mean, you know, I, 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 it was a suicide. He killed himself. He yeah, just made he did. It look like it was this poetic thing that happened instead of that. That and as a result, the kids at school like him more. His girlfriend goes out in the open with the fact that they're together. Mm-hmm. People are bringing food to his house. People start taking him seriously and mm-hmm. respecting him. And it's all built on this terrible lie, and it gets bigger. But, and bigger and bigger. But he's going on to talk shows. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But I, I now the media circus around something like this. Like I get it. That, that another dark comedy that I, I mean could rub elbows with this. Mm-hmm. Heather's. Yeah. Objectively, I mean, especially as a school teacher, mm-hmm. I could see you watching Heather's and just going, "Oh my fucking god!" The popular kids start killing themselves. Ergo, suicide becomes the popular thing. That's we, not quite the. But bell. that's but that happens. Mm-hmm. And Heather's, I think makes a point Heather's I think is a superior film absolutely this absolutely Um, but I think in what it's trying to say in the way the media would treat people in the way that somehow having your son commit suicide makes you a richer nobler person so I mean these are not tough or easy subject matters to grapple with I think what redeems it somewhat for me and again I'm sort of like man on the year I can't say that it's a great movie but I'm not with you that I think it's fucking awful is this fairly powerful moment at the end of the movie where Robin Williams spills the beans and goes from being the community hero to the community pariah. That worked for you. Walks to the swimming pool, strips himself naked, and dives into this pool in this sort of baptismal moment. With the Uh, the pop music in the back. Again, I, I really don't like that choice. I swear... Goldthwaite must be buddies with the guys in that band because I'm pretty sure it was always the same band. Mm-hmm. But I think that he earned that moment. Nobody else thinks that he's redeemed, but he feels like he got himself out of this. And he goes back to the house with the neighbor with who's hoarding and with the one genuine friend who genuinely knew his son mm-hmm. and starts to live his life. Mm. And at the beginning of the movie, he wasn't living his life. I think there is a journey from this character for this character. And I think that if you want it, the the movie's asking some pretty tough questions. It's gutsy. 
I don't know who the audience for this movie is. <laughs> like, I honestly don't. Well, I wouldn't know how to sell it. I, I, I wouldn't say, hey, mom, you want to watch a great no, Robin Wiz? No, never. Uh, hilarious story. My friend Karen. Well, some people would, would have. Right? Yeah. My friend Karen, after Robin Williams died, uh, she was on Facebook saying, I'm having a Robin Williams vest and I want to watch these movies that I haven't seen. I'm starting tonight with World's Greatest Dad. No, no. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, worst movie to watch. Start no. off here, here. Robin Williams is good in the movie. It's a gutsy screenplay. The execution is wonky. I think you might not be giving the movie enough credit, but I also think I might be giving it too much. Yeah, it's somewhere in between there. The, the, the other thing I want to say about, well, there's several things I want to say based on what you just said. Um, when I go back to this with, with Ebert, when he said, I hate, I hate, 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 hate. Th these were always ambitious movies. So the he record, gave, he gave it credit. this movie, by the way. Yeah. He gave it three stars. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, he was still, he was still alive when it came yeah. out, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think I saw that. Uh, and, and we would have definitely differed on it. It's so funny that the scene that you think redeems it is is the one that that actually I think makes it, it so much worse for me. Right, it, it drove me nuts that I didn't think they earned that moment at all. Um, and so I mentioned that there's some sentimental moments in the Fisher King, mm -hmm. but it earns that right in this. It, it doesn't earn anything. I you know I think William's character should be jailed at the end. Perhaps uh, you know he he needed a lot of help but he wasn't the only one that needed a lot of help and also the entire approach to suicide at this school would not be taken by any, any school i've ever heard I of and this might be one of those things like i work in a cell block so if i watch a movie set in a cell block i'm gonna be a lot you, more you, yeah about shit like that yeah. like that didn't really i i just sort of bent to the satire of the movie they're making a statement it, about it, it has to be extreme and i i like movies where they like election that you mentioned mm -hmm. Where uh, the whole school idea is 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 kind of made fun of or used it's a for dark of society, dark satire. Yeah. But uh, this one, I just didn't feel like it was. I, I my, worked my in question any way. would be like, how how would you end the movie? Is there, as far as you're concerned, there's no redemption for his character. He should just die and then roll credits. Like, I well, think I, I don't know what... some bit of hope at the end of the movie. Then I would be on your page. I, I, I would like... like to have seen him go to jail. I, I want to see him go to jail. I want I, I want the the kid to who, who's known that he was doing this all along because he knew his friend and knew that this was not he didn't write this stuff and yeah. that it was all a lie. I wanted that kid to sort of come out on top at the end of this film and just be him kind of walking off as the smartest person, which he I think he is the smartest character in in the film. I, he is the sincerest character in the film. Who's those the smartest character? Those two characters that you talk about, the hoarder mm -hmm. and the former best friend of Robin Williams' son, are the two sincere characters in mm -hmm. the movie. Yeah. And I mean, that's a bitter pill to swallow, but there's more truth to it than I think maybe you're comfortable with. <laughs> because... Also, the psychologist is absolutely terrible, too. What was... <laughs> he encouraged this... Uh, I, I, no, Again, going no, but... back to Heather's. As a high school student, deciding whether or not to kill yourself is one of the more important decisions you'll ever make. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably contradicting myself it's that I like some of these and I don't like this one. I, I don't think satirical. this is particularly well made either. I, I, I it's don't... satirical, but not in a cartoony, sort of obvious airplane kind of way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think in 
Goldthwaite's head, this is a playful movie. And I think maybe the reason that he was keeping it light with the music and the montage and the romantic bit is because the rest of it was so dark. That's why I say just dim the lights and serve us a fucking or, brutal dark comedy because that's mm -hmm. what this is. Or, or he had Robin Williams and everything Robin Williams, some people think, and we're going to be looking at some films where they do a... Different don't yeah. or do a better job of this he thought there had to be some sort of sentimental moment mm -hmm. at the end if robin williams is the star of his film which i, I disagree think, with i think that the redemption or the attempt at redemption at the end would have been built into the screenplay obviously i don't know i don't know goldthwaite personally mm -hmm. i think without that the whole deck of cards falls anyway but i'm saying generally speaking this is pitch black and the tone is not the story's mm -hmm. pitch black and the but tone the, yeah, isn't. Yeah. And that discordance hurts the movie. Just be real that this is an absolutely brutally dark comedy. And let it be that. So, and I think I think that a lot of the bumps in the road would have smoothed out. Now, if we're giving pair endings to dark comedies involving high school students. High school <laughs> students, do you prefer this or do you prefer the end of election? Uh, I guess I would say I prefer the end of the election because it seems well, again, both of those characters are irredeemable. They don't the change. They don't change. They're both irredeemable. I hate the Matthew Broderick character. I hate the Reese Witherspoon <laughs> yes. character. Yes, they stay consistent. But they're not trying to change, right? They're stuck on their path. Mm. The difference between those characters and Robin Williams' character is he wants to do better. Mm. Well, I don't think he does. <laughs> Fair enough. As a storyteller, I'll lay out the events exactly as I remember them. Take this with you. We're publishing it next quarter. I want you to believe this, after all. That'll be hard enough as it is. You'll have real questions after you've read it. I spent over a year speaking with him. He told me things that you couldn't imagine. How old is he? Fourteen. He's a brave kid. Hi, it's Pete Logan. I was really impressed by your book. Behind every life is a story. I swear it's really you. Why wouldn't it be me? Hello, this is Donna Logan. Hey, I'm sorry to cut this short, but he's a very sick boy. He doesn't have very long. This must be very hard for you. I'm worried about Pete. Do you think it's possible they're being a little melodramatic here? They don't seem so over the top. Why would someone do that? I don't know. Money, maybe? To sell a book? There's ways to prove this. Behind this story, there's a secret. The number you have reached is not in service. There is no record of any Pete Logan. You think there's some sort of hoax your way off base? Why? Because! You can. Whoever he is. Um, one of the many things that I can respect Robin Williams for, and one of the things that I kind of resent the blowback against him for, because he was always accused of using the gay voice and, like I said, the sort of Bubba football player, mm -hmm. black man voice. You know, he'd always do the, that would work into his routine. Mm -hmm. And it's broad strokes sort of comedy. I remember seeing one of the uh, comic reliefs where he did a Sweat into the Oldies parody. Yes. Uh, where he got into these, like, ridiculously tight pants. Like, you could see every inch of his penis in these tights. And he's dancing around and doing a Sweat into the Oldies. Mm -hmm. And the joke of the sketch is, look how crazy over-the-top gay everyone is. It was like a gayer version of Richard Simmons. And I can understand how, looking back on that now, it seems like they're making fun of gay people. It was politically incorrect. I don't think that he was making fun of no. gay people. I think what he was doing was trying to normalize gay people. Mm -hmm. Get people used to the idea that there are gay people in the world and that that's okay. Um, 
So it's interesting. Uh, the reason I'm I'm introducing the night listener, the character that he plays is based on a real radio storyteller and who writer. is a homosexual no. and writer and who is a homosexual. And Robin Williams plays it, you know, plays that part. But there's nothing flash about. It. In fact, it's not even super important to the story that he's homosexual. Mm -hmm. it, I, I just I, I like that he. Throughout his career, like going way back to the 70s and 80s, I think that he was a friend to the gay and lesbian oh, yeah. community. And I think it rubs me the wrong way that people accused him, especially in the last few years of his life, that he would play on these stereotypes of black people and, and homosexual people for cheap, easy laughs. Um, I don't, I mean, maybe in 1986 it didn't read like a cheap, easy laugh, but <laughs> it does now. Uh, the Night Listener is sort of one of those movies I could. Uh, I would have liked to be talking about The Birdcage, actually, but I couldn't get my hands to that oh, particular okay. movie. I love that uh, movie, too. It's another, you know, it's very positive, you know, it's normalizing mm -hmm. homosexuality. Not that you feel the, it's weird that you feel the need to normalize it now, mm -hmm. again, but the climate of the 70s and 80s are a little bit different than this today, and we still have a long ways to go. Yep. I think that aspect, contrary to all of the other cool machinations of this screenplay might be one of the more interesting things that I have to say about The Night Listener. Because although I think the movie is intriguing in its premise, and although I think it, is, it gives a nice showy performance from Tony Collette, who's an actress I like, mm -hmm. I think that it's a movie that is sort of like one of those stories that you'd hear on a podcast, which is a nice time filler when you're riding the bus to work or you're walking listening somewhere, but I'm not sure that this story was a movie. <laughs> I'm not sure that The Night Listener was a movie. In the end, I'm not sure what we learn or what we take from this experience. <laughs> uh, a radio sh show host starts a relationship which, with what he believes is a 13 or 14-year-old boy who's been adopted by a social worker and who has lived an incredibly brutal life. And uh, he has a back and forth with him, writes letters, talks to him on the phone for months. And then all of a sudden... Uh, a friend of his or his ex-boyfriend hears a message left by the social worker on their phone and realizes that she sounds so much like the kid that it's kind of weird like that maybe they could even be the same person and the Robin Williams character initially rejects this premise because mm -hmm. he's been he's been in his relationship with this kid for months what a ridiculous thing to say but the more he investigates and the more he has starts this quest to actually meet this kid which he's been helping and supporting the more it seems that he is being taken for a ride. What do you think of the night listener? So I mentioned man of the year I saw in the theaters mm -hmm. and then I watched it this time. Um, I saw the night listener. Now the, the, the thing I'll say that's probably not to its advantage is that I had kind of forgotten it about, about this movie a little <laughs> well, bit. That's not high praise. Um, it's not high praise. <laughs> Yet watching it this time, and then I then I went back to uh, um, seeing it in theaters. Um, it, it had the opposite effect, where it it, it actually I, I I like I liked it more even more this time. I liked it the first time enough to like you know mild thumbs up type of thing. Here I I, I like it even more because it it's such a creepy story. You know, I, I just found it really kind of um, horrifying. And, and there have been some documentaries about these fake identity types of stories. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's a bit of a, a violation of trust when a this happens. And uh, 
and, and to me that I, I found that very interesting. I, I, I suspect that this is a true story. I, 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 but I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know because I know some of his stuff that was told on his radio show. Yeah, but I don't know if he, how much he made up or not. Yeah. But he put some. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I just as as the mystery unfolds, I think it's really, really kind of in in a real world context horrifying. You know, it's not a horror story or, um, but it's a drama. But I think there are some thrilling elements. And Colette's performance is is very very creepy. It's a very creepy performance, and um, you know, as I, I don't know, yeah, because we can start to talk about what happens after he he actually goes to the town where this boy is supposed to be, because he is just hell bent on on, on believing that this boy exists, because he's. It's had that. such an impact on him. And I like that track that he's going into it not trying to prove her wrong, but to, to prove himself right. There's no way that she yeah. would be making this big elaborate lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, like it becomes clear because obviously <laughs> we're watching a movie that she is lying to him. Like mm-hmm. for me, it seems completely obvious early on that she's lying to him. That reveal isn't going to be a big payoff, right? And I think the movie knows that, so it tries to give us other payoffs. But these other payoffs aren't as fruitful, I don't think. But but her, just the way that she is playing the entire know, community in in yeah, it's, and, it's and the, not the whole community, not just her, but the entire community. Everybody in the community all knows the sweet blind lady, uh, and uh, you know have heard stories about the boy that she looks after, and and uh, you know that she has a terrible path, like. It gets into like uh, that sort of '80s paranoia about like satanic cults in the woods yes. doing terrible shit, mm-hmm. and that was really, I don't know, strangely popularized in the late '80s, and then sort of disappeared. It turned out that like a lot of that stuff was just air. Mm-hmm. Um, but she played on that sort of paranoia yeah. so much so that when he starts nosing around the neighborhood asking questions, he gets brutally tasered by a local police officer yeah. because they assume he's one of these evil fucking pedophiles. Yes. Um, so, like, that stuff works and is interesting. But when we find out, like, the tone, it would have been enough that Tony Collette character was such a crazy master manipulator that not only did she have, like, was, was she able to manipulate Robin Williams, but this entire community. But the payoff that when she moves to the next community to start up her new thing, she's not even blind. Mm-hmm. That was basically the big twist. She was lying about being blind. Well, she was which there were hints throughout. I mean, that... she was lying about everything. Yeah, nothing that came out of her mouth was was true, right? So this reveal that her lying was it just sort of seemed silly. And uh, like the, the the extent that she would have gone to keep this ruse up, mm-hmm. she keeps her house messy and dark. Mm-hmm. And when she talks to uh, Robin Williams, when he's, uh, her eyes are out of focus. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the eyes are so you know. blind, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's made credible because you have a performer as talented as Tony Collette playing it. Mm. But I don't know. Is this like a s- similar to the Laura Linney conversation? You're thinking that's, that maybe no. I've been... I don't think it needs to be funny. In fact, I think it needs to be the opposite. Well, no, no. That, that I've just been taken in by the, the choices of a very good. Yeah. I think she's Actor. a very good actress. Uh, I think the problem is not the performance. It's sort of in a way the screenplay. Or the, I don't. None of the riddles are solved in this movie, really. Like we know right away she's lying. Mm-hmm. We never know why. I like that. Yeah. I, I, it's, 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 it's like it, it's, it's more horrifying to me to know that this person or people like it are are out there. 
because in real life, we, we don't find out the motivation for everything. We don't have a big speech where, oh, I did it because of this. And, um, you know, kind of uh, it, it just sits there and, and it's enough to just to haunt this guy for the rest of his life about how easily he was taken in, how he was conned. And for no reason, she didn't make money off of it. Well, she, she make... wanted to meet him, I think, yeah. was, was was the idea. And for whatever reason, she wanted a, attention of a, of a radio personality. But I And by telling her story, then is he not just giving her what she wanted? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's tough for me. Uh, for me, it's little quiet scenes, little throwaway scenes that don't have to do with the main thrust of the action. There's a scene where, in the middle of this storm, he's been dumped by his boyfriend. Mm-hmm. The boyfriend says it's just for a little while, but it's clear that it's not just <laughs> for a little yeah. while. And he's dealing with this mystery in the same time. And he's having uh, smoking a joint with Sandra O oh in the, mm-hmm. his living room and just talking about, what is this? What is happening? What is happening to me? And, like, I think we've all been to the point where we sit down with our friend and we say, like, all of this shit is hitting me mm-hmm. and I just don't know what to do about it. And I could relate so completely yeah, yeah. with him, you know, confiding in this person and just being in this bad place. And the performance is absolutely rich. But the fact that I had no payoff. Hmm. So you were, you were looking for a payoff there? I guess. And I, I, I wasn't. And I liked each and every one of those scenes. I liked when, when he goes to that party. Mm-hmm. Um where his ex-boyfriend is and then they have why that conversation and why why did you do this but it's not i i didn't see anything that was hollywood about this and this was a deadpan serious performance from robin williams no jokes there were there was no winking at the camera none of that and even in some of the better the better ones we're talking about tonight um the, that exists yeah. and in some ways i i think it it weakens um, the impact of the performance. There was none of that. My favorite Robin Williams performance, it's not this, uh, but it, it was Awakenings. Right. There was no trace of Robin Williams in that performance. No. And in fact, he wasn't in the showy role. Robert De Niro was in the showier role. So he was the guy reacting off of that. Um, and, and this was, to me, more he was serving the character and serving the film. Right. Um, which didn't always happen. In some cases, he had no screenplay to work with, and I think directors were just, oh, we have Robin Williams in our movie. Let him do whatever he wants. And he actually needs direction. Like They had the opportunity to do it, too. There was a kind of amusing scene mm-hmm. where he still thinks he's writing uh, letters to this 13-year-old boy, and he's like, I get totally like horny, but if this, this chick is watching me all the time, and like I'm a boy, I got needs. So he decides he's going to buy the kids some nudie magazines mm-hmm. and there's a scene where he goes to the stand where he's it's in his neighborhood so the girl would know him knows who he is knows that he's gay and he has to buy these porno yeah, rights or yeah, whatever yeah. they had every opportunity to make that into this whole sort of shticky scene right yeah. and the movie's barely 80 minutes long like it's like short <laughs> it's short they really could have done it but it was the right choice not to because mm-hmm. it's not that movie like, I understand what they were going for, but I think that this works better as a story that you hear on the radio and leaves you thinking. I don't know that there was enough here for a movie. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they got Robin Williams and Tony Collette got them real fucking close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but maybe this was a short, or maybe this was just what it was meant to be on the radio. I take issue with the fact that he even tells this girl's story in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if I take all of this as absolutely 100% true, and that this Tony Collette is this psychotic compulsive liar Mm -hmm. who just you know needs to 
put herself into people's life based on fact or fiction. I mean, she's ill. She needs help. She doesn't need, you know, she doesn't need her reality reinforced or doesn't need to be made famous or infamous mm-hmm. as a result of it. She needs help at best. And uh, I don't know. I, I like the movie. I want to like it more. It, what was interesting to me, though, is I, I think telling the story is more about him. Mm-hmm. That he is he is so journey. traumatized by, maybe traumatized is an exaggeration, but he's he's so stuck with this, I was fooled. I For my own good, I need to let this out, and I need to write about it, and I need to he's express it so that I can, he so he a, can find some closure, because none of us have closure when it comes to this the story so kind of i think i was feeling what he was feeling he says he's a storyteller and he minds his life and his friend's life for stories and that that was part of the issue with his boyfriend and he is given this nugget of this 13 year old kid who was basically raised in sexual abuse and mm-hmm. according to the story dying of aids mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something yes yeah because yeah. so like used that's for... too juicy a story for him not to want to believe and maybe that's the hurt mm-hmm. that he wanted to believe that story. Hmm. It's an interesting movie. It's an interesting movie. Um, again, it's, uh, it's sort it, of in the middle ground for yeah, me. It, it, it surprised me how highly I regard this this little film now. And I, I find the conversation we're having right now more interesting than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, maybe it was just the experience. It just really it kind of it kind of bothered me actually, in, in the best possible ways. <laughs> his revenge only you can save your children you must make yourself remember remember what peter don't you know who you are have to fly have to fight have to crow have to save maggie have to save jack okay he's back so hook was one of the movies that i actually purchased to fill out my six Robin Williams yeah. movies. It was fairly affordable. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't seen it since it was in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it in theaters, I was pretty close to the right age category for it. I was in my early teens, but I'm not against seeing a big spectacle. It's basically a grown-up version of Peter Pan as brought to us by Steven Spielberg. Some would argue the greatest living director, certainly a very fine director. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, it underperformed uh, in the box office quite dramatically. But even more surprisingly, it got just brutalized by the critics. Mm -hmm. Upon watching it again this many years later, I don't think that the critics needed to be as brutal Mm -hmm. (laughs) as they Mm -hmm. were with Hook. But it certainly isn't great. And coming from a, a filmmaker who is usually as on point as Spielberg, especially when it comes to entertainments, right? He does his sort of serious historical work, and then he does his popcorn mm-hmm. entertainments. He can give us Jurassic Park, and he can give us Munich, and they're both fucking awesome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I don't know if it stays 100% afloat for me. 
But there's stuff in it that keeps me interested while I'm watching it. Like, there's people in the movie that I didn't realize were in the movie. Did you remember Gwyneth Paltrow was in this movie? Yep, I did. I'd forgotten that Gwyneth Paltrow was yep. in the movie. And then, hey, look, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, in a lot of ways, when this movie came out, it seemed like everything was backwards about it. The people didn't like it. The box office didn't receive. The critics didn't like it. Even Julia Roberts, who could do no wrong at this time, her performance was slammed, and apparently on set, she was incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. She played Tinkerbell, so she was filmed separate from everyone else, mm-hmm. and it was a large special effects work for her, and she was basically lonely in a blue room and was kind of a bitch, apparently. Mm-hmm. Spielberg has said he wouldn't work with her again. So, and they haven't. <laughs> and they haven't. And she's a huge star that brings... And she's grown up mm-hmm. since then, I think. But, so, uh, well, and, you know, I think Spielberg's got this side to him that if, if you chafe him, he will... He will not, he, never again. Yeah, yeah, you're out. You are out. You can be in the in-group with Spielberg or you can be on the outs. <laughs> Once you're on the outs, see, you're mm-hmm. not you're not getting any work with him. Yeah. <laughs> and he produces a lot of fucking movies. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so I think it'll be interesting, you know, someday they'll write a biography on Steven Spielberg because he always presents himself with such shine and smile. And I think that there's a little bit of Kubrick in him. I think there's a little mm-hmm. bit of difficult artist in him. There is one that just came out, um, and it takes more of the angle of, of him as a Jewish filmmaker. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't read it yet. I, would, I, I saw a little blurb on it, and it was like, this would be a very interesting, at this stage, interesting because he's still alive. He still has probably lots of films in him. Um, to, to read about. Um, Honestly, though, at the end, it's everything around the movie is almost more interesting to talk about than the movie itself. Hmm. Um, Dustin Hoffman had sort of faded away in uh, a little bit yeah. in Hollywood as far as his esteem, even though he's an amazing and again volatile actor. Gives a very committed performance as Captain Hook. In fact, I think he gives the performance of the movie. I get yep. I get a lot of uh, sort of. Uh, a joy out of him and Bob Hoskins and just sort of mm. the pirate banter. Mm-hmm. Never Neverland does not work for me. The Lost Boys, the kids, the big colorful paint schemes actually kind of reminded me of another Robin Williams movie, uh, What Dreams May Come. Oh, yes. Where he goes to heaven and the whole world turns into a canvas of paint. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I guess we should say the plot, sorry. <laughs> Robin Williams is Peter Pan. Yeah. He has grown up. He takes his kids to visit uh, the family in England, and on the night when they're visiting, Captain Hook shows up to confront Peter Pan, doesn't find Peter Pan, instead finds the kids, steals the kids, takes them to Neverland. Robin Williams has to deal with the fact that A, he's Peter Pan, he had no memory of this, no knowledge of this, and B, he has to go rescue his kids. Um, <laughs> at the risk of being a pithy, funny movie critic, I don't think it all quite stays afloat. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Where do you land? Where do you land? I, I, I think we're I think we're pretty pretty similar. I, I and again I felt like I was the right age to see this movie when I saw it in theaters. One of the things I'm I with this one I'm pulling back and going, okay, a, am I right now the target audience for, for this movie? Mm-hmm. I'm not. I think if if I played it for some kids, they would enjoy it. Yet there are some weird things in this film too that don't quite compute for for being a, a family movie. But I still think it was it was a family movie. They had a few family movies that came out. This was ninety one as well, which yeah. I seem to worship for whatever reason that, that <laughs> year. Uh, had, uh, Adam's Family came out, and Father of the Bride and Hook all kind of in the same month, November to December time frame in there, um, and then. Uh, and then Williams, of course, had the release of the Fisher King and Hook around around the same time, two completely different films. 
Um, I, it's, it's a very weird Spielberg film. It's almost like at some point he lost control over it. It's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, by the way. I should Too also long. mention that, which is Too. now when they make family movies, what, 65, 70 minutes because <laughs> of attention spans. I, I, I would be interested to show it to maybe older kids now. I, I think... Um, I will say my kids are eight and oh, sorry. I don't know how old my kids are. My kids are nine and twelve, and uh, the uh, Owen uh, made it longer than his brother. He made it almost an hour into the movie, but Tristan was out of it within it wasn't. fifteen twenty minutes. He just wasn't engaged to it. And there's a lot of setup. Yeah, there's a lot of setup. Now, as an adult, I actually found the first act of the film I I kind of liked. Some things I didn't like. Some things I thought were were. The cell phone, very cartoonish, and, and like very cartoonish, and but the design of it, um, I don't know why I'd forgotten that Maggie Smith was in this. Oh, yeah. But I, as soon as Maggie Smith showed up, I was like, oh, I'm gonna breathe now for a little <laughs> while because she she's very good. Uh, she's the older Wendy, and what a, the, the tragic figure of the movie. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yes, well, and then. I, I kind of like at first I was like oh, this is absolutely insane there's the of course the guy looking for his marbles yep. um, which tends to be a, a big payoff towards the end but I, I liked a lot of it um, and this is one where I, I did like Robin Williams I think this the, the whole thing was within his wheelhouse the when he realizes he's Peter Pan and embraces that later on that's more his more traditional film persona comes out but i also think he playing the father he played a lot of dads in his career he does a good job of being a dad but also at points a dysfunctional father um um he's a provider more than a supporter but he has a lot of screen time dustin hoffman the movie's called hook yeah dustin hoffman does not have a lot of screen time but i think he was kind of considered the lead for the film and he uses every single moment. And so Dustin Hoffman elevates this this film. Bob Hoskins as well is a lot of fun. But Dustin Hoffman in particular, yet there are some points in there where I'm like, okay, is this for kids? Because, you know, Captain Hook is, is suicidal. He's mad. He, he actually is about to commit suicide in a scene in yeah. this movie. And, it, I, you know, it's it's sort of a comedic scene. But I, I, I was like, is this... When this I, is funny, but then the Lost Boys thing is a disaster. Yeah, it, it like, everything really about is. that is just bottom basement. And I and I watched the sequence where they're running around doing something and um, uh, torturing Robin Williams or something at the beginning because he doesn't realize that he's Peter Pan. And I'm like, this is a Steven Spielberg film. It looks like something, some some. And sort of screwball sets, comedy or... The sets look like sets. They look like they were shot in Fantasyland. He got a nomination for art direction, yeah. if you can believe that. They were shot in Fantasyland at West Edmonton Mall, <laughs> to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, the kids were having a great old time. There well, let's not put down the West Edmonton Mall decor. Like, I, not, but it yeah, didn't this, look it, like... It's better than this. <laughs> but it yeah. didn't look like a tropical island. It looked <laughs> no, like no. a set. Right? I'm not I wrong. Did. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> it, there's, and... I, I just don't understand. Like, that seemed to be the thing that, if anything, I would expect Spielberg to fucking nail. The guy who brought us E.T., mm. you know, like, the, he's usually so good at casting but, kids in his movies and, and at treating the kids stuff. I remember uh, watching a documentary on uh, Close Encounters mm-hmm. of the third kind, and yep. uh, he said that, in his mind, children are way braver than mm-hmm. we give them credit. Yep. People see a mysterious light in the shed... 
and they run away. Except for a little kid. Little kid will go investigate. Yep. Or on some level, he, they will trust the light. Grown-ups don't trust the light. There's something I was talking about, uh, time bandits. Like, you say, what can a kid's candle? What's too scary for a kid? So the idea of Captain Hook killing himself, is that too scary? That scene where they see that scarred wall where mm -hmm. Hook has dragged his hook up the wall to the kid's room and the kids have been stolen. A lot of people say, that's too scary for kids. I would say I don't think that's the stuff that's too scary for I kids. I don't even remember it in, as a kid. and I was, I was pretty sensitive. I would, yeah. you know, I mean. Um, kids have, have thicker skins than we give them credit yeah. for. I wish that Hook was more like one of these movies that uh, I talk about where, where it's sort of like the Death of Innocence movie. Because that's really mm -hmm. the, the core of Peter Pan, right? Uh, letting go of your childhood. And if you had the idea that you could stay a child forever, wouldn't that be great? Well, no, not really. Right? And that's what Steven Spielberg yeah. misses in Never Neverland. The idea of these kids, I think they should be filthy. They should, like, uh, in, in the animated cartoon, they play it as cowboys and yeah. Indians. Yeah, and yeah. it's unfortunately less than, you know... Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, of the time. Yeah. <laughs> ...politically correct. Yeah. My son Owen loves the animated version, mm -hmm. and I have to be really careful. Like, I, it's a very charming movie, but you can't sing What Makes the Red Man Red when you're at school <laughs> because... Well, you have to talk about... I mean, it's not like, do not watch this, it's bad. <laughs> You, so you talk about those things. I figure they're right to jettison that sort of aspect mm -hmm. of it because in the the original play, the idea is that the they're wild children, mm -hmm. and the analogy to wild children is Native Americans, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that is right, righteously jettisoned, and and I get mm -hmm. that. But what should have stayed is the fact that yeah, they're kids, they're running around, they're having fun, they're playing, they're hunting, they're 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 completely free, but they're lonely. Mm -hmm. And they have no focus. They have no authority figure. Mm -hmm. And sooner or later, that comes to a head. You know, sooner or later, they're laying in their hammocks at night and they're wondering if there isn't more mm -hmm. to the world. Mm -hmm. And that scene never happens. Mm -hmm. the, the kids are just always happy and charming and rambunctious. That's and, you winking at the camera. They're just cute. See, yeah. it's the worst of child acting. And uh, it, it, it is discordant and uh, discordant mm -hmm. against the original play, against mm -hmm. the original whole idea of Peter Pan. Um, the idea of being young forever is a romantic one, mm -hmm. but like anything, anything that lasts forever, it eventually becomes hell. None of that is in Hook. None of that is in Hook. It's all about a father redeeming himself mm -hmm. to his children. You see, I, I think everything should have worked here. Like Spielberg is somebody who has understands children and understands childhood sure. and that growing up and, and making magic with his films. I, I, I think it should have worked. Robin Williams is the perfect guy to play an adult version of Peter Pan. Um, Hoffman was the one who stretched himself the most. Like what, what would you have seen before this that led you to believe that Dustin Hoffman could play Captain Hook? <laughs> and he is by far the most competent um person julia roberts her performance is totally off and i i don't know I, I could tell because she was out of sync i don't know if it's an editing problem but it, she was totally out of sync with the scenes with everybody else because she's not actually there and she's yeah. not reacting part of it was the, the technical actors. challenge i think that she's an actress who just needs another body there with her mm -hmm. fair enough um 
And I think, honestly, part of it is that she might miss Spielberg off. I, I mean, once you get that deep into a movie, I think you probably know where the where the problems are, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to spend all the time editing the Julia Roberts scene because he's pissed off at Julia no, Roberts. I, it must have been a frustrating... Now, the other thing he that... He himself has admitted that he's very disappointed with this film. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I, he has to be honest about it. But the, the other thing, we'd, like you've mentioned some of his greatest films right. in there, right? We have to also recognize that this was before Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, mm-hmm. and he went through a downturn. Like every filmmaker goes through a downturn. Mm-hmm. Between what I'd say is, and you can feel free to disagree with me on this one, between The Color Purple and Jurassic Park, I think the only film that really worked for its purpose was the third Indiana Jones film. You know, I I don't I think he was he was I'd coming. Have to watch always. I think again, he was but, yeah. like always. I I I like, but it was you know it was lesser um, Spielberg. Le- lesser Spielberg. I think that was him moving towards being a more serious filmmaker. Um, I, but it I not I don't think it did very well box office wise or anything. So he he was not he was not Spielberg, the seventies and eighties early eighties early to mid eighties stuff. He was Spielberg, and this was kind of the loop in between. You know, he when he became... Once Jurassic yeah. Park and Schindler's List happened back-to-back, everyone then, was like, okay, yeah, you are yeah, the greatest now, filmmaker. Now he's, you know... Well, I mean... He, I disagree that he's the greatest filmmaker, well, but, I mean, that, that's... Uh, the perception. But, but, I mean, I would take I would take the number of of good movies and great movies he's made. I mean, they're, I'm yeah. more on the Munich side of things, and yeah. I like him doing movies like that. But sure, he made Hook, not, and sure, it's disappointing. But you know what? He made Jaws... He made mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark. He made Close Encounters. He made Jurassic Park. All is forgiven. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would have revisited Hook if not for this episode. They're doing this, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm I, not excited but... about it. Uh, Spielberg's an interesting filmmaker, and if you're a, you know someone who's just going to follow his career, it's sort of an interesting chapter. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it works for the kids. I don't think it works 100% for adults. Mm-hmm. I don't add it to the collection of films that make me you know, heart sick for my lost youth. And that's mm-hmm. what this movie should have been. Like, I think the essential thrust of the story was jettisoned. Like, I, I think my my brother, my sister, and I liked it quite a bit. In we were, you know, children moving into, you know, starting to move into adolescence. Actually, my brother was quite a bit younger, but children of early '90s. Mm-hmm. Children of early '90s are very different than children of 2017. And and so I, I, I think it may it's one of these ones where I don't think it's all bad. Yeah. I just think it's so strange that it didn't work better. And it's just that those expectations that we have for the people that are involved with this film and that it interestingly analogous to the Disney version too, and that it's it is superficially charming, but there's some real problems. There's some real problems. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a photographic memory? I don't know, you know, I just kind of remember. Meet Will Hunting. In South Boston, he's already a legend. Assault, mayhem, theft, resisting. All overturned. But when you hit an officer, you go in. I've spoken to the judge, and he's agreed to release you. Really? You have to meet with me and a therapist every week. This boy's genius is unparalleled. I've never seen anything like it. Now, I need someone who can get through to him. Like me. For the first time in his life. It's a poker game with this kid. Any vulnerability senses. 
exploit. Will Hunting is about to meet his match. Did you paint that? Yeah, I painted that. Very interesting. Well, maybe you're in the middle of a storm, you know, and the waves are crashing over your tiny little boat there, and maybe you did what you had to do to get out. Maybe you became a psychologist. You got me. And maybe you married the wrong woman. Maybe you should watch your mouth. So, Goodwill Hunting was sort of the welcome to Hollywood for Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Oh, mm-hmm. They'd been around, they'd both done some small work with Kevin Smith, yep. and uh, things like that. Um, it's a charming movie. I'm going to be of the unpopular position that although it is a charming movie, mm-hmm. it might be one of the most overrated movies of the 90s. <laughs> Not a bad movie. Again, like, I am amazed that it won for best original screenplay. Mm. To be honest, for a couple of reasons. A, I think that some of the stuff is emotionally hit pretty fucking hard. Kind of like a play that you would write in your 20s, which is exactly what this was. Mm -hmm. And partly because a lot of it was made up on the spot. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that were just improvised. And they admitted that. So, like, everybody saw Good Will Hunting, everybody liked Good Will Hunting, everyone's like, hey, welcome to Hollywood, guys. We're going to see good things from you but I don't quite understand giving them an Academy Award for it. I 100% them giving Robin Williams an Academy Award for it. Although I would qualify it as one of these classic Oscars, he's due awards. Mm-hmm. Sort of like uh, Russell Crowe wins for Gladiator when he should have won for The Insider. You see, right? bringing that up, you might as well that's just punch me in the face because right. that would be so much more comforting than right. having to but think about that saying, again. Robin Williams should have won for The Fisher King. Instead, he wins for Goodwill Hunting. Right? That was a tough year, though. I mean, that list... I... Yeah. Um, so but it yeah. sounds like I'm being really shitty and hard on Goodwill Hunting. And, and like, the thing is, is that it's a completely serviceable romantic comedy. It's charming. Uh, Matt Damon gives an interesting central performance. Uh, this character kind of reminded me of the character, this is a strange pull, that uh, Anthony Hopkins played in the movie The Edge. Okay. Uh, in that he is incredibly intelligent, and mm-hmm. he can remember almost anything that he reads, but mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to have much of an inner life. He can... Robin Williams calls him on it in one of, the, one of their sessions. You know, there's nothing about you that I can't learn from reading a book. Mm-hmm. They're like, is there a person here? Mm-hmm. You're super intelligent. You have this incredible gift, and you're not using it. And that's basically all we got. <laughs> uh, the Ben Affleck, the best friend character, is this guy who's a working-class schlub, who's 100% okay with being a working-class schlub, which is to say he's a property that exists almost exclusively in the movies. <laughs> I'm not sure he's happy, though. I, I, we aren't at the, you know, the, the discussion point yet, yeah. but there, I have a different take oh. on that character. Mm-hmm. There's the, he has a speech later in the movie where Mm -hmm. he says, like, you know what, I'm going to be shucking bricks until I'm 50, and that's going to be the moral. And you know what, that's fine. I honestly don't think most people are that, you know, in their, you know, okay with where they are. I think everybody has this imagining of where they're going to be 10 years from now that's maybe a little bit unrealistic, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, And maybe you get to that point and maybe you don't, but you're always looking forward and looking up. And this is a guy who's like, this is my job, this is my life. I have been 100% defined, and I'm not even 30. And there's something, I think, simplistic about that. But as a romantic comedy, it 100% works. It's got some really good laughs in it. And yes, there is a solid, completely stoic, relatively, I mean, there's some charm to it, but it's not. there's no goofiness to it, Robin Williams' performance. 
I'll put the ball in your court. Again, I'm sounding a lot more negative than mm -hmm. I mean to, but uh, I, it's a movie that everyone seems to like more than I do, although mm -hmm. I do mm -hmm. like it. Yeah. It, and at the end of, of this year, it will be 20 years old, wow, which crazy. seems crazy, because I remember going to see it, and I, I, I it was one of those things that would, I think it was probably at Center Cinemas I saw it, and uh, which still exists miraculously. Um <laughs> And uh, speaking of the paradise, but earlier, uh, which I a I love I love that place. That place was heaven silence. for me. But a moment of silence um, for the paradise theater. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, where was I going with that? Yeah, it, it's interesting when when the film came out, it was almost viewed as underrated because that was the year of Titanic, and the the film that was viewed as the runner up to best picture that year was L.A. Confidential. Mm -hmm which is a fabulous film in the 20 years in, the the, film in, in, in 20 years. I like, I'm, I'm on the unpopular belief. I really like Titanic, you know, I mean, nobody's I, perfect. Um, no, 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 I'm not perfect. Um, I, I get the criticisms of the Titanic and for sure, but, um, it's interesting to me that now when you look at all of the publications about movies that should have won best picture, the travesties of uh, the Academy over the years, that Titanic shouldn't have won. It should have been Goodwill Hunting. Really? There are people right now. Um, it seems like this movie upped its game with a legacy. L.A. Confidential um, almost seems forgotten about. And in some years, I I just don't understand it. There 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 are films that I I think oh, and then there's another movie that year which I I loved as far as romantic comedies, as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. I think is as good as it gets in that particular genre to me that would have been a a in a probably a third place i think i actually at the time liked it more than i liked la confidential if you can believe that but um i i wouldn't have put goodwill hunting on my top 10 list yeah. the funny thing is of the movies we've talked about this is the one i've seen the most yeah but it's again i've put it away for a few years and coming in and seeing this and it was funny that the scenes that worked for me this time um and it was oddly enough it was the matt damon mini driver scenes and it's it's the breakup scene that mm -hmm. that really impacted me this time when he, he he's showing on his um chest the scars from the beatings that he received and then she she's in in tears and he's screaming she's saying i i love you and he's don't say that don't say that and you know um you know, I this kind of showiness, to, yeah. but he's just getting more and more angry. That worked really well. I know the scenes that I'm supposed to be like oh, about, um, and this time around, I was not as enthralled with to to me the showier moments in Robin Williams' performance. I did not actually want him to win the Academy Award for this movie. There was somebody who wasn't nominated that year that was kind of the, the person I was cheering for. But I, I actually, it was, the story was it was between him and Burt Reynolds right. for Boogie Nights. I would have given it to Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights. Um, I, I I thought there were a lot more nuances in that performance and it was more subtle. There were points in here, even though Robin Williams has a, I think, a, a very good Southie Boston accent and... He, he does some some serious there's some serious notes that he has to play in here but I think it was like suddenly 
people kept forgetting that he could play serious. And this was this gathering of the story about these young guys making this film, getting Robin Williams. And it's like, oh, yeah, he he can play serious roles. And this is such a serious role. And this is nothing like him. I saw Robin Williams creep out at various points throughout this, particularly this, this discussion about... Uh, his wife well, farting in bed. That scene is totally... That was all Robin Williams. And then the other one was when uh, there was this discussion that they're having and uh matt damon's kind of making fun of him and saying i want to be a shepherd and there's this back and forth uh and uh and it's just it, it felt like one of williams comedy routines in there. there they're few and far between i think it's a good performance it was a nomination worthy performance i don't think it was his best performance i think, I, I think there's a lot more it's a, a lot more in the fisher king and then i go back to again awakenings um the the a, even one hour photo, uh, maybe even in insomnia, the ones where he just can plays the character. He, he, he lets the celebrity, the Robin Williams is no. Well, two things I would say. Go, to that. I mean, two things I would say to that. I think a, he, he got hired because he was Robin Williams and yeah. because they were going to do some improv and then they knew that he could do some improv. I think that like, that was part of the gig that he was getting the job. But it surprises me that you, you're a little more distanced from the performance because I see a lot of awakenings in this performance. A lot of awakenings. In, he's not as introverted as the character in mm -hmm. Awakenings, but a lot of what we get, a lot of the acting that we get is big, bearded, cuddly Robin Williams sitting in the chair looking mm -hmm. at Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. And you can see the, the gears turning in his head. Mm -hmm. You can see him thinking, how can I help this kid? How can I reach this kid? Because it's... Not just, you know, about telling the kid that these are his problems and these are the steps that he needs to take. He has to get through a wall of shit before mm -hmm. the kid's even going to start to listen to him. Which is more realistic. I mean, Which is more realistic, yeah. and I like those scenes. That said, as much as I say I like uh, those scenes with Robin Williams and Matt Damon are some of my favorite stuff in there. Arguably, the emotional climax of the movie in my drama department days mm -hmm. <laughs> became kind of a punchline. If I'm rehearsing in a studio with a cast, sometimes I'd be in the North Studio rehearsing yep. way late in the night and everyone's getting frail. I'll look down at one of my cast members and I'll say, Jason, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that to me. Don't, don't do, do it. Don't, you know, it's yeah. not your fault. Don't, <laughs> don't you blame me like that. Yeah, 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 not yeah, you, yeah. right? Well, not it's, you. It's anybody but anybody you. Anybody but you. Do yeah. not drop this truth bomb on me right now. It's kind of funny, right? And it's the emotional climax of the movie. And I think that there's something parodiable about it. There's something mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that the movie doesn't work. I mean, a lot of the best movies are, are, are fun to make fun of. You can mm -hmm. lampoon mm -hmm. Psycho. You can make fun Anything, of Jaws. Yeah. You can make fun of yeah. Like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But I, this is an absolutely serviceable romantic comedy date movie. It's just not I a, never have thought of it as a comedy in any way. I, 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 think I mean, it's a date movie. I honestly do. I mean, it's, I, I could see it as a date movie. And I mean, I, I was working in movie theaters when it was, yeah. and a lot of couples went to it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that. But uh, I was made uncomfortable by, by uh, the recognition that my, my, my mother had a, an inner life that included recognizing sexuality. <laughs> Because I saw this movie in theaters with my mom, strangely enough. And when we came out of the theater, she said, Oh, that Matt Damon is so handsome. And I was like, Jesus, Mom, shut up. <laughs> I, I got that from a lot of, a lot of, uh, yeah, a, a lot of women, you know, not, not teenagers and 20 somethings, but I, yeah. as they were coming out, yeah, they were, wow, they were quite uh, taken so by him. Pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
I think it's a good script, not an amazing script. I think there's solid performances throughout. I think that it's an I'm due award from uh, Robin Williams, but I sure wouldn't snatch it out of his hands. Mm-hmm. It's no, weird, he can't. He can't. It's, it's I a mean, weird it's fine. To be in. I was saying like. I like this movie. It's totally good, but it's nowhere near as good as its I, reputation. <laughs> I, I thought he, in some ways, in the politics of the Academy, he won because he's a nicer person than Burt Reynolds. Yeah, maybe. It's Burt Reynolds, you know, and, and then he went back to doing all this terrible stuff after yeah. after Boogie, Boogie Nights, Nights was a whole other discussion, the role yeah. of his career, and he, he didn't seem to fully appreciate that. Um, yeah. And... So I'm 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 making it sound like I'm really mixed on Goodwill Hunting. I actually, as the years have gone on, and I I like it more and more. There was a movie, a Kevin Smith movie, that came out in the same calendar year, Chasing Amy, yeah. that I liked more than Goodwill Hunting. Um, and I that thought he's totally all over the place. It, 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 it's a, it's a big, but at at that time, I kept thinking, well, I I actually think the writing's better in Chasing Amy and. I almost think, uh, you know, the the direction of Goodwill Hunting was almost too subtle. Yeah. You know, I well, I kind of miss this sort of was the this sort of the thing that made Matt Damon and Ben Affleck sort of the serious players in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I miss the days when you know <laughs> Ben Affleck was the asshole jock and dazed and confused or mall rats and Matt Damon, you know, had fun sort of light roles mm-hmm. like in Dogma. Yeah. Thing is, is like. It was a gateway drug to a lot of other things. It's an interesting 90s artifact, and it's solid. I just can't get excited about it. Well, I think you could probably guess, because uh, when you're saying, oh, well, if you're interested, check out World's Greatest Dad, I would say don't. No, don't I, do it. I mean, sometimes if I disagree with somebody on on, on a movie, mm-hmm. I'll go back to it again. Well, maybe it was just the mood I was in or the situation or whatever. It's the great thing about the um, podcast. I've revisited movies and liked them more and less than I'd remembered. And that's what happened with the, you know, I had different reactions. I, I'm not sure, again, I mentioned 20 years ago or whatever, 10 years ago, that the list I have would have been in the Different. order that it's in today, but World's Greatest Dad, I just, I, I have no, no time for it. I just, I just, I just hate, hate it. I, I think it had ambitious goals, and I will agree with you in that in that way. But I, I just don't think it succeeds in any way, shape, or form. Okay, fair enough. Uh, then for me, number five is Man of the Year. Which was a real downside. I went going into this. I thought, okay, well, it'll probably be somewhere in the middle. But um, yeah, it it just I, I spotted a lot more problems with it after giving it a, a bit of time here. And and I I guess I, you know it's not good to demand a different type of movie from it than it is. But I think it introduced this really interesting, maybe even like nineteen seventies paranoid political thriller with Laura Linney as the star. Yeah. And I wanted to see that movie. More than the movie and watched. And yeah. a bunch of guys standing around improvising, trying to uh, create some comedy gold from 
something that I just didn't think was there. And I really like Barry Levinson. Well, I like him, but it'd be fifth for me. Uh, number four is Hook. Uh, I, I don't think it's all awful. It is something to see if you are a Spielberg fan, just to see, you know, that even even those who are have a high batting average with the films that they release can have uh, a poor one here or there. And I think some some kids might like parts of it. Yeah. Um, and Dustin Hoffman's performance elevates it from being at the very bottom of this list. Then I'd go number three, The Night Listener, which was a real surprise. I, uh, it's not a memorable film, I guess. <laughs> You know, the fact that I had seen it and I forgot that I had seen it. <laughs> this time it had more impact. I, I guess I kind of watched it at midnight and maybe that's a better time to watch it because it's kind of, to me, if it was real and it's kind of creepy and I, I, I do like things where it's kind of we're left in the dark about what actually happened and what's the motivation. I, I'm kind of sick of the the villain having a big monologue at the end of a movie and saying this is why I... Uh, this is why I did everything I did just before that person gets killed or captured. So yeah. runner up, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. I, I really sound like I, I don't like it, uh, but I, I, I do like it. I, I think there's it's an actor's movie um, because they were allowed to improvise quite a bit. There was, there was good work from people. Yet, I think with each one of the actors in the film, I could name a movie where they were better. Yeah. And then my my choice is uh, for number one is the Fisher King. I'm so glad you agree. I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, some people I I think those who don't like some aspects of sentimental cinema might end up bashing it. But there's so much good stuff in it, and I, I, I mean, I don't know if I can say that it's Jeff Bridges' best performance, but it was kind of like the fir- the first the first love <laughs> and the first date I had with oh, okay. uh, with Jeff Bridges. So I'll always remember. Right. That and I watched the fabulous Baker Boys right after that. I was like, I need to be watching more movies with this guy <laughs> in them. I, I'm not sure I would say it's Rob Robin Williams' best performance, but you are not alone. I've been talking to lots of people lately who who agree with me, and I think it's maybe perhaps it, it played to all of his strengths in such as, a complete way. Yeah, as wacky and over the top as it is a lot of the time, there's subtlety to it as well. Oh, like I said, those yeah. moments of recognition where reality pops through his fantasy mm-hmm. for a second and he, like, he almost physically shakes it off. Like, nope, well, not I, going there. <laughs> and knowing a lot more about PTSD, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I, it was absolutely on, on point. And it got me thinking, that movie gets you thinking about, you, you see somebody, even in the streets of Saskatoon, that's shouting about something and seems like they're what hallucinating. It's like, what what has happened? What and, got them there? You know, the, the humanness of that, of that type of person who was looked down upon in society still is in many ways, but certainly in the early nineties in New York city, which had the, the rich Trump, right. dare I say the devil's name half. And then the poor struggling homeless people at, at that time, it's, it's a beautiful film. And I'm glad you mentioned the sequence in uh, grand central station it's because it's, it's, it's just pure magic. It's so I, you, good. You, you, you can't, it's so good. You can't talk about it and describe it. You just have to experience it as uh, as a viewer. We have pretty different lists. Uh, I, I was afraid of that, <laughs> um, but I, I I don't I don't think we're gonna really scrap about it. I actually put the night listener in last place. Here's the <laughs> thing. Um, maybe if I watch it again in ten years, I'll get more out of it the way you did. But for me, this sort of seemed like a long story that didn't have a punchline. <laughs> uh, I like Tony Collette a lot, and mm-hmm. like I say, I like Robin Williams' performance. And, uh, you know, I think that 
I kind of wanted something to represent because I do yeah. think he consciously was sort of trying to be supportive of the gay and lesbian community. Mm -hmm. And here he is, a central character who's gay, and that's not his defining role. So many times you see characters, I'm the gay friend, right? Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's yeah, who they are. Yeah. They're completely identified by their sexuality. And, uh, mm -hmm. Like you, your number six is one, I, mine is I hate this movie, I despise <laughs> yeah. it. Your number six is I, I don't my completely hate it. It's, it's my least, least favorite, favorite of the six, yeah. I'm going to throw World's Greatest Dad in fifth position. Okay. And even to me, I feel like it's being a little bit thrown <laughs> under the bus, but uh, this is a gutsy movie that you need an auteur person to make. You have to be someone like Bobcat Goldthwait who doesn't give a fuck and is just going to make <laughs> his movie. And uh, I, I mentioned movies like Election and Heathers to the Peripheral. I'm talking about much better movies. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that movies like Election and Heathers don't get made. Hollywood doesn't green light movies. Heathers would not get made today. I mm -hmm. guarantee fucking to you. It would not get made today. Uh, and in a lot of any kind of mainstream way, neither would World's Greatest Dad. I think that it's too soft for the darkness of its subject matter, and that hurts it tonally. But I, I appreciate the balls that it takes to mm -hmm. make a movie mm -hmm. like this. It's ambitious. And for me, it is that. the re redemption of the character, even though it involves him becoming a social pariah, <laughs> works. Uh, and then uh, in fourth position, I'm putting Hook. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It's very problematic, but <laughs> there's enough good stuff there that I don't want to like, uh, the production values are always good. Spielberg, you know, is really good at staging things. And I got to say, the stuff with the pirates is genuinely, it's genuinely it's amusing. Yeah. It's fun. Like, I want a movie about the pirates. Like, mm -hmm. it's called Hook. I almost wish that we could have just, you know. And I like the setup. I yeah. mean, I, I like the set, maybe too much setup, but I, I, I like the stuff in, in London and Maggie Smith and yeah. all that. So all the way in third position, which may seem artificially high to you, is Man of the Year. Uh, in a way, I think it, it's a serviceable movie. The funny stuff is relatively workable. The political stuff is relatively workable. Levinson's made better movies than this mm -hmm. on this subject. Uh, it's a role that Robin Williams, in a lot of ways, could have done in his sleep, because really he's mm -hmm. playing a stand-up mm -hmm. comedian celebrity. And I, don't, I didn't feel anybody stretching themselves. No. It's fine. It's weird now we go to number two, which is, of course, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. It's like all these other ones I'm, I'm apologizing for. Like, I keep saying these bad things, but it's a good movie. It's like, <laughs> this movie is a good movie, and uh -huh. I keep saying bad things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, just for me, I, I have always been perplexed at the amount of love this movie has. Like, people mm -hmm. just fucking lost their minds over oh, Goodwill yeah, Hunting, no. right? And I was like, it's, it's good. It's movement, yeah. It's good. Everyone relax. I sort of felt the same way about uh, Forrest Gump. Everybody lost their minds over mm -hmm. how good Forrest Gump was. I'm like, it's fine. Everybody relax. I think some people have, have projected the Citizen Kane curse onto it. Maybe. That, that it's Overhyped. a movie that gets the, the screenplay award, but not Best Picture. And because of some of the emotional impact, they thought it should be, it's a Best Picture type of quality film. But yeah, I'm not not recommending Goodwill no. Hunting. I'm just saying people will love it, but it's it's a it's a totally yeah. good movie, but it's not like one of the best movies of the '90s. It just mm. isn't. Mm. And of course, number one is The Fisher King because that's pretty close to the best movie of the '90s. It would be on the list for me. Mm -hmm. uh, this is another one of those episodes where it was a list that had The Fisher King and five other movies. Like there was <laughs> yeah. like no competition yeah. for me. The Fisher King is almost, I, I feel like it got forgotten about, too. You know, if I ask the average person, what is your, your three favorite Robin Williams films? I, I think you'll be hearing about Aladdin, Mrs. Doubtfire, mm -hmm. Goodwill Hunting, yeah, maybe Dead Poets Society, uh, you know, Good Morning Vietnam. They, 
you know, it's, I'm glad Criterion brought it out and uh, it's, it, it seems like there's, it's getting some attention now and hopefully this podcast helps. I think that Gilliam will go down. People will remember Gilliam because yeah. of how distinct the films he makes. Like, well, and Monty Python alone the, wouldn't have been the same without him. The cultural involved. ripples of Monty Python are still being felt today. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not like when I was a kid and I was like singing, sit on my face and tell me that you love me when I'm like nine years old and I had no fucking idea what they were talking about. I just think it's an absurd song about people sitting on each other's faces. What a ridiculous thing to do. Exactly. Yeah. How silly and funny. But that's it, you know. It's brilliant for kids. It's brilliant for adults. It's really good. Uh, I, I love his imagination. Mm-hmm. So... In a way, the books were a little cooked this episode. I'm happy that you agreed with me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. On Thank you for having me. To uh, Robin Williams. Again, I like the man. I don't love all his movies, mm-hmm. but I love the man. And I'm sad at how mm-hmm. things played out for him. Yeah. It seems like there's just a, a real loss right now with any celebrity. And there have been a lot of them lately. And but that, that one hit hard for many, many people. And... Uh, he was a he was a very loved guy, and it's you you feel like you know somebody. I think that was the thing that was tough is people thought they they knew him, and he and, was our buddy, and he was always going to be. There. He'd always be there, but you know, and and and, and whatever happened with the death, I mean, it was just a it's tragic, but uh, it was mental illness, like like yeah, he was yeah. another victim of mental illness, and there have been just so many plague, so right so many, and I hope that it. You know, it brings it more to the forefront and people are thinking more about this and not just sort of accepting how people are at face value because some of the happiest seeming people are struggling quite a bit. And, and so I, uh, you know, hopefully he can, we can learn from this. Lift a glass to the sad clown. Mm-hmm. Indeed. There will never be another Robin Williams. So and the lesson on Robin Williams, uh, we'll be talking about him again. I do have uh, plenty of other movies that uh, include this talented individual that uh, we'll bump into him again. And I'm sure Mr. Jason Dubray shall return as well. So thank you for tuning into this different tribute episode of Rankin Review. Please send any feedback or thoughts you have to me at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, find us on Facebook. Tell that other film fan in your life about it. And thank you, as always, so very much for listening. I do appreciate it. Lots of love from your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons.